Welcome to Get Your Rocks Off with Mick Wall, the world's leading rock and metal writer. Each fortnight, Mick will unpack rock and roll stories. Stories that you probably won't find in print. So pour yourself a Jack and Coke and get ready to get your rocks off. For God's sake, st- start. Yes. Well, there. Oh, I'm going to take these off. Um, that, that's headphones, by the way, yeah. not uh, underpants, <laughs> which you begged me to, but I'm not going to. Um... Welcome to another edition of Get Your Rocks Off. Uh, we nearly didn't make it to John. Say hello. Hello there, people. Hello, Cleveland. Mm. We nearly didn't make it because we could, still can't figure out how to work the equipment. <laughs> human error. Human error. We're going to change the name of this podcast to <laughs> Human Error. Uh, I mean, I was happy because you could hear me. Yeah, yeah that's but, right. You but had we some couldn't level, hear yeah. you. Yeah, Which, and the, you the, the error turned out to be the microphones weren't turned on. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Who'd have thought? Right, so um, this is uh, a special edition, I guess you'd call it, um, uh, because Eddie Van Halen um, died very recently, just a couple of weeks ago, and so we thought we would uh, stop what we were doing and do this instead. There was some discussion, John, that this might be too early. Explain your too thoughts. Early. Well, I thought, I mean, there was a discussion of doing something about Eddie a couple of days after he died. And I think there's a certain tone you need when someone's just passed away. And rightfully so, because they have just passed away. And there's their family and their friends. And in Eddie's, Eddie's case, the fans are still coming to terms with that. But we wanted to remember him in a particular way. And we wanted to remember the whole of Eddie Van Halen, not just the, you know, in, in the obituaries or whatever. And I, th- I thought that, the, you know, he had obituaries in the Times, the Telegraph. You know, he, it was a big deal. This All was over a, the world, yeah. This was a, a, a death of a rock star who meant something to a lot of people. The touchstone for the mainstream media was probably the guitar solo in Beat It. That was the thing that, that could root him somewhere that everyone understood. Um, but the Times described him as a bouffant-haired guitarist. In that, ridiculous. You know, it was ridiculous. I mean, he, he wasn't particularly bouffant-haired for a start. And second of all, is that, the, is that the you know is that the first descriptor that comes to mind of the man who kind of reinvented after Jimi Hendrix the art of playing the electric guitar? So I think you need to, a little bit of time for these things to settle. And then you sort of hear the first couple of funny stories start to come in and someone will post something on Facebook of an old interview where Eddie did something, you know, out of control and the kind of thing Eddie... Or, 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 or you might get an email yeah. from your producer saying, so look, for did, you know, did you know sales of Van Halen music has gone up 4,000%? Yeah, but I mean 4,000%. I take issue with that. It's 4, 000, if you've sold 10 last week... <laughs> And uh, now you, yeah, you've gone up 4,000%. It's not, you know, it's, it yeah. means nothing without... I'm just yeah. speaking yeah. statistically. Yeah. Statistically, it means nothing yeah. without a base figure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, listen, before we go any further, you mentioned uh, a lot of the obits, the mainstream obits, mm. the fake news, yeah. mainstream <laughs> media, um, talks about Beat It. Well, whenever I think of Eddie Van Halen, I never think of Beat It until someone... Mentions mentions it. beat it, yeah, and then I go, oh yeah, but I don't think Michael Michael Jackson fans go, 
That's one of my favourites because of Eddie Van no, Halen. No, I mean, Steve Lukather was on that track as well, you know. I did not know that. Yeah, but you I, see. I fully believe he was. Uh, absolutely. Uh, there was a period of time in the 1980s when Steve Lukather was, was on, on every it. track. <laughs> well, Steve Lukather uh, ended up being on quite a few Michael Jackson albums. In fact, co-wrote some of the songs yeah, I bet on they're all, uh, Yeah, they're all thriller. keeping that quiet now. <laughs> no one wants to be <laughs> too close to Michael these days. But here was my point. Uh, when I think of Eddie Van Halen, again, I I, I don't instantly think of the guitar. I think of this. Join in. Yeah. Oh. I get up. Yeah. As as. The diamond days. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's it's there's some irony uh, there that uh, that his uh, best known song is a keyboard riff, and by all accounts, wasn't it? He had that knocking around for years before they let him use it. And David Lee Roth didn't want him to use yeah, it. Yeah, he thought he was being too cerebral. Yeah, well, I mean, there is that with a keyboard. You have to turn it on like these microphones. <laughs> there's an element of technology involved in the keyboard. Guitar, just plug it in, don't you? Just plug it in. But, but, Any fool can do that. But at that time, they, they kind of cited that as, as another part of his, um, his being an innovator. Uh, and, I, and I do like that because um, unlike uh, Jimi Hendrix, unlike, let's talk about Eddie, some of Eddie's contemporaries like Steve Vai, Randy Rhodes. I mean, all these guys... Uh, Ingvay Malmsteen. We've always got to mention Ingvay Malmsteen. John sitting oh, here in an Ingvay Malmsteen t shirt. We've got a couple of tremendous Ingvay Malmsteen but, stories. But but no, but, but, but we'll, they are we'll they, they were classically trained, but you never ever heard them doing keyboards, did no, you? No, you didn't. You didn't because they I don't know if they could or not. But also you have to say when you think about uh the guitar solo in jump. Yeah. The the last bit of it is so good when he goes and it just goes back into the keyboards. It's it's just an amazing bit of musicianship. That yeah, he goes right up to the. I'm going to say he goes right up to the high C. Who knows what it is? He goes right up the neck. He goes to the top of the neck and he gets and he does this kind of thing where he sort of traps the note, you know, and it goes like a horse or something. Like a horse. Like a whinnying horse with its balls between yeah. David Lee Roth's <laughs> teeth. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, it's an amazing thing. It is. Yeah, but you're right. People do think of jump. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they do. They do think and, of jump. And they always talk about eruption from the first album as kind of Eddie's signature. And I totally get that. But I do remember the first time I heard it thinking, eh, yeah, 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 it's good. But, yeah. you know. What is it, a two-minute instrumental? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think it, the reason in many ways people talk about that, guitarists talk about it, because yeah. it became... Never a, let the guitarists talk. Don't let them sit. It no. became a sort of landmark thing to be able to play. Right. In the same way that right. in the 70s, if you could play Stairway to Heaven, yeah. as any music shop owner will tell you, if you could play Stairway to Heaven or, you know, Kashmir, you were on the way to being 
Well, I mean, I think once the 80s came along and the new style of guitar playing that Eddie came, essentially came up with... Tapping. And, and, and tapped into, as they say. Oh, very oh, good. Yeah, very, very, but very with good. Eruption, which is, to say, I think, second track on the first record, yeah. it lasts for one minute, 40-odd seconds. Right. It's a very short piece of music. Yeah. But it's got this spectacular end section, yeah. which became the, the mark for a guitarist to be able to go into the guitar shop and you know, oh, I'll try the new, uh, the new Ibanez or whatever, please. And they take it down from the, the sacred. There you pedestal. go, sir. And it, you know, would sir like to try the guitar? Would sir like? I don't like know if they say would sir. The- <laughs> I think you're going back to 1959 yeah. in London here. Would would Mr. <laughs> Marvin care to try the down 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 yeah. Who were very, uh, Eddie was very influenced by him, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. No, he wasn't. He, he said that with a completely straight face. Who the, who the hell knows if he was or wasn't? But yeah, well, you could, would Sir like to try this? And then you, <laughs> and then you, <laughs> and then you, but if you could break out eruption, you know, you were like, oh man, it, you can play eruption. It, yeah. So they've gone from would Sir like to, yeah. to oh man, you can play eruption. Yeah. That's a crazy store you yeah. were in that day. Yeah. It was the L.A. Guitar Centre, that place. Do you remember that place? The, I do remember the that L.A. Place. Guitar Centre. It was called something like that, wasn't it? Yeah. Just rows and rows of axes, man. Yeah. Just go in there. And yeah. It was near the, the GIT, the Guitar Institute of Technology. Oh, blimey. You, you, you know your stuff. Well, do, well, do, do you play the guitar? I don't. You do, don't you? No, I You're don't. You're a secret I, guitar I, player. I, I do, you the, play with your teeth. Yeah, I, I play eruption with my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I play eruption behind my back. <laughs> yeah. You can smell it sometimes. It's yeah, so good. I've erupted, man, everywhere. But the this is the point about Eddie Van Halen. He spawned that whole oh completely. No, you know the notion that a guitar institute of technology might exist was down to Eddie yeah. initially. Yeah, initially. Yeah, and I think also that's interesting because. You know, people go, there was Hendrix, and then the one that took it to rock guitar to uh, uh, the next level or to a, a parallel universe uh, was Eddie Van Halen. And I, I get that, we'll agree with that. Um, but Hendrix uh, clearly inspired millions of people to pick up a guitar and play guitar. But apart from Robin Trower and, and possibly one or two other people that I can't think of right now, I I don't particularly remember hearing guitarists in the seventies that I thought, oh, he's been listening to Hendrix, you know. Whereas, yes, yeah, I see the minute going. Eddie Van, Halen, I see where you're going. No, I throw I throw in the name Uli John Roth, that weird. Yes, but who went then went and married Hendrix's <laughs> wife? Or something. No, she wasn't his wife. She was the woman that was there the night he died. Oh, please excuse me. Yeah, That's even worse. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to seek out. Yeah. The woman who was there as Jimmy's spirit That's right. went up to the clown. That's right. And it's going to... To give her, her a more specific title, the groupie that Hendrix right. was with that right. night. Having right. written a book on Jimmy Hendrix, yes. I don't know if you're aware. <laughs> <laughs> the paperback If I can paint a picture, released. he's now surrounded. As we speak, There's there are two huge boxes of paperback books. <laughs> Waiting to be signed. Do you know, I wish there were. My publishers are so fucking... You, not in Australia, I love you in Australia. <laughs> but here in the UK and in America, I love you too. 
and in Europe, but here in the UK, they're fucking useless. I haven't even had a single copy of the paperback. Yeah. No one know it, knows it exists, um, which is why I, you know, bring yeah. it up here. Just in case you've missed it, two riders were approaching, available right now yeah. in all good Amazon outlets and stores and so forth. But anyway, having written that, what was I saying? You talk about the, the, the young woman who was with... Oh, yeah, Monica Dannemann, yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he you know... He'd kicked out a groupie a week before, and she was now the latest. I mean, it was just, you know, it was like it was like Russian roulette. You know, she just happened yeah, to be. She was one that happened to be but, there that but night. But Uli John Roth, who, who was, uh, was he in the Scorpions? I'm sure he, he was, was in, in the, the Scorpions. Scorpions. Yeah, right. It's great, love geeky looking guy. You know, long hair and a headband and all the rest of it. And I, I, I remember this. I, God knows why I remember this. Do you remember the old Grey Whistle Test, the TV show? Of course. Show? Uh, in, in Do the you UK. remember that? In Do the UK. Remember? There was a show in the UK called The Old Grey Whistle Test, and it was one of the very few places you could see music on TV. Album, it used to be it used to be on about 2.30 in the <laughs> in the uh, night on a Friday or something. It was like 10.30, but John was very <laughs> young, so for him it was like it peeping over the like bed two, covers. The time, you could, the time it came on, you were tired. But anyway, Uli John Roth was on one night, and the two things I remember about it are... He's playing a seven-string guitar. <laughs> <laughs> this one a has seven-string. Seven a seven-string no, guitar. If Hendrix had only known about a seven-string. Seven string. It's like the seventh chord. It's it, like the seventh <laughs> note or whatever it's called. It's Anyway, so he was doing that. And the other thing he did was they asked him a question, whoever the presenter was. And I've never forgotten. This is how much it's seared on my brain. I've never forgotten the first words of his reply. They said, so, Uli, you know, this uh, this new album, you know, just a bog standard question. So what, what do you think, you know, this new album, how did it come about? And Uli John Roth said, it's a predestined thing. <laughs> he, he, great, great answer. It's a predestined thing. Okay, I'll give you that. But, but, you know, I'd never yeah. even heard of Uli John Roth until... <laughs> Like 1984, and then I never heard when of he him again the, when after he was on that. The old yeah, that was it. That was his yeah. Where Eddie Van Halen. Oh yeah, sorry. Let's get back. Suddenly, to, get back to the point. Eddie Van Halen appears on the scene. Um, Randy Rhodes, yes. Hot on his Although Randy had been in Quiet Riot, I don't think I'm not going to say Randy Rhodes was Eddie Van influenced. Although I think they definitely were competitors. Yeah. What I am going to say is that. Uh, Pretty much every L.A. band in particular, but every rock band in America and some over here, Wolf Spain and a few others that came immediately after Van Halen had that what we now call shredding, you know, tapping. and Yeah, all of that. I mean, before that, it had been Richie Blackmore and his kind of medieval thing. Yeah. Jimmy Page, who isn't in any way a particularly brilliant guitarist technically but had fantastic tones and colors and brilliant kind of sonic master but eddie had all that and then you've got you know steve vai you've got the george lynch in dokken you know rat would have a bit of tapping in their music everyone yeah i I would be surprised if mick mars didn't give it a go now and again when he was you know sober mick mars the eddie van halen of motley Crue, as we call him did, yeah. Is that what we called him? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, I, I thought it was I Eddie always, was the Mick I, Mars I, of Van Halen. <laughs> That's how David Lee Roth used to refer to Eddie, yeah. yeah, yeah as yeah. the Mick Mars. The Mick Mars of this band. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I always used to think of Vince Neil as like the fat David Lee Roth. 
<laughs> Couldn't get off the ground, Vince. Whereas Dave could fly through the air. You will believe a man yeah, can, can fly, fly. when and you it, saw Dave. And, and he really did. Junk. Yeah. Well, look, let's move on to that then, because. Um, oh, sorry. One last thing about Eddie. I wanted this to is, say. Let's finish the serious bit because this has been in all the obituaries and all the rest of it. You know, he well, did this, that, and the other. With all right, the guitar. But, 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 but hang on, hang on. The point I want to make is is um, so yes, Eddie. Uh, I think had a greater, on a very kind of pragmatic level, a, a greater immediate influence on the guitarists that, that were there at the same time as him and came after him. And I think today, if you're a young rock guitarist, you can't help but reference Hendrix or Van Halen or whatever. But, and it's a big but, unlike Steve Vai, George Lynch, um, I would say unlike Jeff Beck, um Unlike a lot of these incredibly gifted guitar players... Hank Marvin. Hank Marvin being the godfather, um, Eddie wrote songs. Well, this, Eddie could, yes, could boogie. Yes. What he did, Eddie could yeah, boogie. Exactly. He contextualised his playing in a way that many who came after him didn't bother to do. Yeah, they just, called, they, you would just wait. Steve Vai... Or, you, or you, Yvonne yeah, Malmsteen, yeah, classic I mean, example. Yeah, amazing guitarist, but you would they and you were just waiting for the solo. The song existed so to, they could to, play the guitar to solo. To showcase the, the yeah. sonic yeah. tapestries, as yeah. Coverdale Cover, once yeah. described yeah. Vi's the play. finest tapestries. <laughs> finest sonic tapestries since Axis, Bold as Love. <laughs> Which is fair enough. Yeah. Uh, and God bless Steve Vi, but he never wrote Panama. No. You've got to have a bit of... Is that Panama? I don't know if that, that was wasn't. A, no, that was the original yeah. uh, demo of Panama that Eddie played me once. That yeah. I can now reveal. And you said, no, no, Eddie, what you want to do is do it like Panama by Van Halen, which is way better than what, than what I just did. <laughs> I said, Eddie, don't take the piss. I said, you know, do it properly. Yeah, yeah. You know, or... Um, I mean, even like, say, Hot for Teacher, where you oh, have got that incredible... But then you've got... Now, ZZ Top built a whole career out of that bluesy... Eddie did too, but he also had... You know, you also yeah, have yeah. the genius, yeah. the genius, yeah. because I've heard it said that there was Ludwig van Beethoven. Then there was, I can't remember his first name. Then there was Van, <laughs> then there was Van Helsing. And then there was Eddie van Halen. What do you say to oh, that? Oh, the vans. Oh, it's the van yeah. thing you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think it's I an don't important, know. There were loads of there, there were a whole batch of Dutch footballers, you know. Oh, Van Rene, Basten, Rene and Willie van der Kerkhoff, Marco van Basten. There were Marco loads of van. Ba- yeah. I, I think you're going down the wrong track. The no, van no, thing. no, no, no. Yeah, the, the, no. <laughs> the, the point being, I mean, I think I dug out this morning and sent over to you, which I'm sure we'll we'll mention briefly. Yeah, I might read it a little a little while ago. I interviewed a guy called Noel Monk, who was a uh, uh, sort of music business figure he'd worked with the doors he'd worked with the sex pistols he did their he did their ill-fated only u.s tour, every every were, every sex pistols tour was ill-fated well that's it? true it but their, their only them. u.s tour where they broke up at the end he wrote a fantastic book about okay that. great 
Did you ever read it? No. Abs- no, no, seriously. It's like 12 days on the road with, yeah. you know, the Sid Vicious stories. <laughs> they just, they make you laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in horror. So, so, he, so obviously he, you know, thinking, Christ, I need to get out of this Sex Pistols nightmare. Was run by a guy new at a record company who said, "I've got this new band. Will you come down and meet them?" And it was Van Halen. And he had the next. He, well, he essentially managed them up until th- they split with Roth. Yeah, and then had no involvement with the Hagar. He managed them through the glory days. The, absolutely, the glory days. As he pointed out, in 1983, when they played the US Festival, yeah. Van Halen had negotiated a fee of 1.5 million dollars just for that one show. For that one show, which at the time I think was the most anyone had paid for a one-off festival appearance and i think the the point i was going to make is that's 1983 which if you look at the sort of history of the kind of music we're talking about the crew had come along by that point or were just coming along but basically the la scene was quite different to how it would be four or five years later so and eddie by that point had made what four albums maybe i can't remember yeah 79 did they start and then 78 78 79 so by that point you know so van halen are established as leaders and and that point you made about influence is absolutely true because the kids who were 15 or 16 when they got into van halen by the time it comes to 1986 87 are 25 or 24 25 and are in the band that they're going to make it with and also i think um in 1978 uh, on their first, uh, you know, their, their first album comes out. It doesn't get high in the charts, but it eventually sells like 10 million copies. It becomes one of those <clears throat> landmark musical yeah. moments. Their big um, uh, major tour was opening for Black Sabbath. Yes, of course. And Black yes. Sabbath, you know, everybody now talks about how they invented heavy metal. They, they didn't, by the way. Jimi Hendrix did, you know, but... Uh, and Cream and many others. Is there anywhere you can read about Jimi Hendrix inventing? Well, do you know uh, there is metal? one? That, uh, in fact, there's a rather good Black Sabbath book oh, as well. Yeah, that's also uh, very, very interesting. Called Symptom of the right. Universe. Yeah, that is a very good writer's book. name escapes me, but someone it's, awfully good. It's very Awful, good. Book, very, yeah. very, 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 very good. But if that writer were here and he could paint the picture of really well, Sabbath, a band in decline at that Sabbath, point. a band in decline. Yeah. But, but. Still um, on their pedestal. Still with Aussie. Still, still with Aussie. Just coming to the end of that period. And um, uh, I remember Aussie saying to me, uh, he would come off, you know, th- th- Van Halen would come off stage most nights and Aussie would be looking at Tony Iommi going, how the fuck are we going to follow yeah. that? Fuck it off. Yeah. And, um, and Iommi wouldn't even watch. He'd be completely disdainful. This is Iommi... In, in, in the years when he's on his throne, his yeah. dark throne. He doesn't care about these American idiots leaping around and smiling yeah, and yeah. having fun. <laughs> he's he's out there to... And Aussie's there to be baleful yeah. and wretched yeah, yeah, yeah. and fucked up. Van Halen come on and it's like the circus has come to town. Yeah. But not only have you got this incredible front man who, who really takes it up a notch. I mean, forget Mick Jagger or whoever was considered the, the main man in those in the 70s. David Lee Roth comes along and says, you've been seeing that in black and white. Now see it in colour. Yeah. He, he does martial arts. Uh, he can spin through the air. And best of all, 
check out the guy on guitar yeah. because this is the incarnation of Mozart. And I, and I, and I think it's true. If you ever see that movie Amadeus, Eddie Van Halen reminds <laughs> yeah. me of the Mozart in Amadeus, this musical genius that finds it actually almost effortless to the point where he's just laughing and grinning yeah, all the yeah, time. Yeah. Like quite annoyingly yeah. brilliant in a very kind of childlike way but a very appealing um you know to the public to fans and so van halen opened for black sabbath and it becomes an immediate schism an immediate difference between uh what was and what will be in the same way that when guns and roses came along in 87 88 to me they were like the first band of the 90s yeah. they had nothing to do with 80s heavy metal van halen had nothing to do with 70s heavy metal yeah they were the herald the herald of a new age and they had this amazing dynamic going on because you had roth who you know is the son of a jewish ophthalmologist who has done incredibly well in life what is an ophthalmologist uh, it's someone who i think he was either an eye surgeon ah, or a, yeah some sort of eye, and he, i i believe i can't remember exactly the story behind this but he either invented some piece of technology or some treatment or something he was eminent in his field was and it did, a, was and, it a glass eye <laughs> did he invent the glass eye Known as the rock. Or the bionic eye. The, bi- who, the bionic yeah. eye. Who knows what he invented? He invented something. And he and it, it he did very well for himself. And very so, nicely. You know, Roth is coming from that yeah, affluent yeah. Educated, background, educated, educated. You know, he's funny, he's charming, yeah. you know, he's got amazing hair, he looks yeah. fantastic. Eddie and Alex yeah. uh, obviously, you know, different by, by Alex, we mean Eddie's brother, Alex Van Halen. Yeah. Um, I know you know that, but who is that? Uh, so you've got the dynamic. The, these, 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 yeah. Is he on the bass? Yeah. Well, yeah. so Alex is the drummer, and and the, you know, again, the story goes that Eddie also wanted to be a drummer, right? In fact, but, that's what he yeah, wanted to be, and Alex to be, was on uh, the guitar. But Alex was better at the drums, yeah. So Eddie picks up the guitar because he can't get on the drums because Alex was on the drums. But their father was a musician, clarinet player, I yeah. Think. Never, never hugely successful. So they've got this completely different kind of life and completely different kind of drive to Roth, you know. And and Roth has a diff, different drive to a lot of people in the business at that time because I think we've said in previous episodes how, you know, damaged and difficult the upbringings have been of so many of these yeah. guys who made it around that time. Yeah. Whereas Roth didn't have that. He didn't have that, you know, they would say to fiction writers, you need to have had a terrible childhood. Yeah. Because you need, you need the grit that makes the pearl. You yeah. Know? Roth didn't have that. So Roth is a showman. You know, what Roth's got is showmanship. He loves the attention. He wants to be on stage. He's the one coming up the one-liners. He's, he's sort of, he's part singer, part Vegas comedian yeah. stroke showman, you know. In between the songs, he would be hilarious. Yeah. You know, he'd be brilliant. And this charismatic personality. And it took a lot to get the attention away from Eddie Van Halen because you've got the best guitarist in the world. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. But Roth could do that. So there's an interesting dynamic in the band. Every band always has, you know, the, the you know the Jagger Riches, the Page Plant. Well, here's Eddie and Dave. And this is a very interesting dynamic that starts to develop as the band becomes successful. And and it's the old thing of opposites attract. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't get two more opposite guys. You've got Eddie, the dark, um, the dark musician, 
a dark, sorry, dark haired musician. Um, I mean, who, not amazing looking, you know, he's not the kind cute, of... Cute, yeah. cute, nice smile, yeah, beautiful but, but, smile. But not the, not the sort of, you know, no, not uh, a rock god uh, type. And, and also, if you ever... I mean, I, I only met Eddie a couple of times, uh, but I met Roth quite a few times. And the impression I got, I met Eddie, I met all of them. Um, but Eddie and Alex were always together. They were almost like joined mm. at the hip. And Alex, being a drummer, was, you know, typical drummer, quite sort of, you know, loud and uh, obnoxious quite yeah. often. Eddie didn't really seem to have a hell of a lot going on outside of holding on to the guitar. And when he wasn't holding on to the guitar, he was holding on to a bottle of vodka and a gram of Coke. Yeah. Um, Roth also liked his drinking and his drugging, but Roth brought... Roth did not... is not a musician... You know, David Bowie once said, "I'm not a musician," and and of course he is a very he was a very very accomplished musician. But he was making a distinction between I'm not the guy that wants to show you my chops yeah. and the beautiful yeah. solo. I'm the guy that invents scenarios and images and sells you this this uh, this trip. That's Roth. Roth sells you the trip, and in his case, it's like the California. Um, Hollywood, yeah. um, sky is the limit, fireworks for breakfast, you know, he's that guy. But uh, so they are opposites. You know, I, I, I think I told you I once interviewed Roth for 13 hours straight. Yeah. Eddie. Absolutely no drugs involved in that one. <laughs> the man, <laughs> David Lee Roth talked for 13 hours, folks. <laughs> And I didn't even have to ask yeah, any questions. No. You know, <laughs> I just, just yeah. I just sat there helping him work his way through the yeah, um, yeah. the uh, uh, source material. Yeah. Um, Eddie, you know, thirteen minutes could be a lifetime yeah. apart from uh huh and yeah, man, hey, wow, dude, yeah, glug, 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 you know. Um, so very, very opposite. You got the feeling Roth had a library stashed away and Eddie yeah. had never read a book in his life. Now, yeah. I don't know if he, I'm saying either of those two things are true, but that was the impression. But combine them and you get this this unbelievable result, this chemistry that um, is undeniable, unique. However, like all opposites, when it doesn't work, when it turns into when a... When it goes wrong... Then it goes serious, spectacularly wrong. wrong, irreparable. Yeah. yeah, and I think Noel Monk, when you interviewed him from the piece uh, you showed me earlier, was saying when they they, they broke up after the nineteen eighty four album, which was their biggest album after the first. Oh, he album. very much felt they were on the verge of, of being. Yeah, of well, I mean, the biggest band d- in the just world, just being the biggest band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in nineteen eighty four, that was true because. You know, uh, there was, there was. I mean, Motley was still a baby band. Yeah. They'd had a couple of top ten albums in America. Well, I mean, arguably, they were one of the biggest bands in the world. But I think what he meant was they were going to go off on huge stadium tours. Yeah. They were going to go yeah, across the world as a huge attraction. And and Eddie and Dave completely blow it. Well, they'd, they'd never really been huge outside America. Mm. Jump broke down the doors yeah. for them. Uh, but the album didn't get to number one in America. It got to number two. Their, their four Research. number one studio albums were actually made when they got together with Sammy Hagar, yeah. which I think we should maybe get on to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, let's just say one more thing about Dave is that I always felt with Dave, 
and this is it might be a slightly strange thing to say because obviously Van Halen is what gives him his ultimate credibility. But when he was set free from Van Halen, mm. and he and he Had did it all his own yeah, way. and he did it completely his own way for about two or three years, he was utterly fantastic. Yeah. He was really spectacularly good. And he was, again, I think the showmanship, you know, freed from Eddie, the real showmanship side came out. He would do something like Just a Gigolo and he would do uh, Skyscraper. You know, it didn't, he he had a a slightly bigger range. He would stop the show so he could talk. Oh, he would He would do the bit where he had the, you know, the dinner suit on and he he would talk to the crowd for five or ten minutes. I mean, he couldn't do that in Van Halen. Uh, On the Skyscraper tour, he had the boxing ring. Yes. That came down from the sky. He had the surfboard where he'd surf over over the the crowd. crowd, Which was amazing. But he also, I think he covered his bases because he also had a great band and he also had in Steve Vai a guy... Uh, That you... Who could do the Eddie stuff. Totally do it. In fact, add something. Because Steve I was an amazing looking guy. Um, birds loved him. Yeah, yeah. As, as I heard you say once. Yeah, yeah. Uh, birds loved him. He loved him. We all loved yeah, Steve yeah, I. He, he, was yeah. like, he was like that beautiful vampire. Yeah, you know, that who just emerged him. at night. Yeah, yeah, with this incredible facility on yeah. his wand. Yeah, he just gets his guitar, the two neck guitar. Do you remember that? Oh, you go up and down the two with two hands in a V. Yeah, down in a v, yeah. yeah no, just, he was he was amazing. Yeah, he was amazing. But I can tell where you're going with this, and I think you're right. Which is that yes, that's true, but it 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 became more surface. It yeah. Became, yeah. The, because but, but that's what, but I suppose my point was that that's what Roth was. Right. That's what Roth was in Van Halen. And when you took him out of Van Halen, that's what you saw. He went his own way, but you saw that, yeah. It's wrong to call it superficial, but I know what you mean when you say surface. Yeah, it's, he, he, he's, he's like, not. It's like the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, it sort of goes back almost to that grit that makes the pearl. What's making Dave Lee Roth create something? There's no angst. There's no particular drive. Drive other than I'm David Lee Roth. You yeah. know, I'm I'm this great, amazing showman, and he is. He really is. But that's what he is. Whereas Eddie, they make this. You know, and at the time, all the jokes about Van Hagar and all the rest of it. Eddie makes this apparent slamming on of the handbrake, and goes off and gets Sammy Hagar. But I think there's one thing to remember about recruiting Hagar. And that is, he was in Montrose. Yeah, with Ronnie Montrose. With Ronnie on Montrose on guitar. And if there was a sort of pre Eddie Van Halen, there's your man guy. It was Ronnie Montrose. So it it made that sort of sense. I felt Ronnie Montrose. I mean, uh, people don't talk enough about Ronnie Montrose. Yeah, you know, they t- we talk about Eddie as there was Hendrix and there was Eddie. Ronnie Montrose, nineteen seventy three. Bad motor yeah, scooter, yeah, yeah. space station number five. Yeah. Look it up, kids, on yeah. YouTube. Amazing, or Spotify. Yeah, amazing songs. And, and he ended up playing on. Um, he made more money as a session musician, mm. like, and people don't even know. So, for instance, uh, Frankenstein by Edgar Winter. You know, that's Ronnie Montrose. Yeah. He was on loads of records. A bit of a Steve Lukather in a way, in that yeah. he was brilliant. Um, but he didn't have that profile that yeah, Eddie had. That Eddie had, yeah, yeah. Um, but also, I think, and then Hagar had been the Red Rocker, hadn't he? he did, yeah. Hagar then left Montrose and had a successful solo career, 
and he, he well, they, you know, I can't drive fifty-five, yeah, yeah. red, yeah, you know, all like great songs, yeah. you know, good songs, great really, energy, yeah, a lot of energy, really good songs. And I think the other point being, uh, in my opinion, he's a fantastic singer. Yeah. I really think Hagar's a great singer. He is, and I listen to the Hagar Van Halen albums more than I listen to the Roth albums. That might put me in a different category of Van Halen fan. You notice but I'm folding my you arms. You are folding your I'm hands. folding my, my arms my fav- and, and, my, and sitting back in my chair my, looking my, at you now. I, I have to, my favourite Van Halen is OU812. Right. I love that record. It's a terrific record. Is that the one with Pound Cake? No, it's the one with Mine All Mine and Cabo, Cabo Wabo oh, yeah, and Cabo Wabo, uh, yeah. When It's Love. Yeah, yeah it's, Huge it's a, yeah, really Which good one album. had Pound Cake? Was that 50 That was the one, 5150, 50, yeah. 50 no, I, 50, listen, yeah. I agree. I, 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 um, I was very much in the Roth camp. I'd seen Van Halen with Roth. I loved Van Halen with Roth. Um, and when Roth left, I I I kind of left with him, if you like. Yeah. And then they brought out 5150, and Sammy Hagar was intriguing to me because of the Montrose connection. Yeah. Because I actually bought that Montrose album. I still, just the other day, I was, I was uh, looking up something to do with Sammy Hagar for another thing I was working on. And I, I didn't go to Van Halen. I didn't go to his solo stuff. I, I pulled up that clip of him on the old Grey Whistle test yeah, that you mentioned right. with Montrose live in the studio, in a TV studio, live doing Bad Motor Scooter. Oh, my fucking God. Amazing. Yeah. But there it is. There is the Van Halen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this, this and, isn't and, Plant and yeah, Page. No. This isn't Jag and Richard. This is amazing frontman and singer. Incredible... Uh, future future shock guitarist you know Montrose yeah, yeah. and and the, the great thing about Sammy was that he was a stadium guy he you was know? I mean some people are we've had this discussion before some people are some people aren't he's a stadium guy you look at the film kind of spectacular yeah. concert films yeah. of Van Halen around yeah. that time and all of a sudden Noel Monk's vision has sort of come true they're on these vast stages with thousands of people and there's Sammy and he's got the boxing gear on. You know, he's got the sort of boxing boots and the t- and the spandex trousers and the cut-off T-shirt and the long hair. And all of a sudden, it's a different thing to Roth. He's not... And, and, he, and he plays guitar. Yeah, he, yeah, he plays guitar. Proper musician. Yeah, and can really sing. You know, he's all of a sudden... Well, it's did, a bit like when, when you yeah, know, you mentioned Tony Iommi earlier. Iommi gets this new lease of life when he gets Ronnie Dio because all of a sudden Ronnie can do completely can different really things sing, yeah. to the to the things that Ozzy did, yeah. and Tony can all of a sudden write Children of the Sea. Yeah. He can write Neon Nights. He can write you know Heaven and Hell, different kind of songs. Well, I think this is what Hagar does for Eddie because all of a sudden Eddie can write hit singles. You're you're absolutely right. Hagar told me uh, once told me that when he went to audition for Van Halen. Um, Mr. Van Halen, the Eddie and Al's dad, yeah. was there. And they had been auditioning different people, all kinds of suggestions. You can imagine the labels getting involved and going, well, what about this guy or that guy? And it was all just not happening. And Hagel came in and started singing. And apparently Van Halen Sr., the dad, said to the two guys, this is the guy you need. Do you know Why? Because he sings like a clarinet. Yeah. This oh, guy wow. has range. Yeah. yeah. And if you think of it, da, 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 what's yeah. that song? Da, da, oh, I can't. I'm terrible with the tunes. But the, the, if you listen to Fifty One Fifty and OU Eight One Two, there's lots of them. Da, 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 you know, there's a yeah. lot of scatting and a yeah. lot of. 
beautiful. It's a bit like, yeah, Cabo Wabo is a bit like that. Yeah, the song yeah. about Mexico, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it's got this great chorus, you know. And that, all of a sudden, Eddie's writing, or him and Sammy are writing these big choruses when it's love, you know. And, it, and, a- and, and, and the truth is, the great truth is, however brilliant Van Halen were with Roth, if you want to be the biggest band in the world, if you want to be on MTV in the chart, you've got to have songs with love in the title. You know, you've got, you have got to do <laughs> that sort of thing. You do. You've got to bring the love. It's all very Show well. Show me the know, love. Hot for teacher and all of that. It's great fun. It's brilliant. But, you know, how do I know when it's love? You know, it's just... You, the, yeah, but you, you are an that, old romantic, but aren't it, you? No, but it's the, the classic thing of the girl and the guy out on a Friday night and you need something on the stereo that you can both listen to. Also, he had that real kind of... Roth had that circle the wagons and, and, and we'll shoot our way out of Dodge, you know. Hagar had that more kind of homespun American, all-American vibe. Yeah. I mean, Summer Nights of 5150. Um, again, I'm thinking back to an interview I did with him and he said uh, that was one of the... or maybe the first song they wrote... He said, and all I had in my head was uh, Summer Nights and the radio. Yeah. Because that's all I had. Um, but if you think of that riff, and you think of um, Summer Nights and my radio. And he talks about the old fishing pole. And yeah. It's so home, homespun. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But in a real American, uh, a real American heart. And, and the other thing that really hit me with 5150 and everything they did after with Sammy Hagar... They had a different sound. Yeah. Ted Templeman was no longer producing them. And Ted did an amazing job. If you listen to Eruption, you listen to Panama, you know, you can really hear the drums. You can hear Michael mm. Anthony chundering away. Mm. Then, of course, Eddie and Roth's kind of deep. I mean, I don't think you have to be a great singer. You know, it's rock and roll. Yeah. You know? So yeah. you don't need to be an opera singer. And I think Roth had oodles of character and i think he totally carried it i think he gets a bad rap because hagar was such a uh in the same way that ozzy and dio you know hagar's so, so much clearly so much the better singer yeah yeah but that doesn't mean roth wasn't unique and amazing. no that's right that's right and, H- and hagar comes along and they get a new producer and suddenly they've got this much lighter sound yeah. which and, really and does sound good on the radio it does, and eddie's using the keyboards you know you think about even the sort dun, of the the, the dun, yeah, but also the massive sort of up-tempo Mine or Mine, which opens OU812. It's got this, yeah. you know, this amazing keyboard riff. And all of a sudden, Eddie, as you say, brilliant musician, he's come out with these amazing things on keyboards that are driving the songs in a different way. And the other person we should have a quick word for is Michael Anthony yeah. as a singer. Great. Who, well, yeah, who, his voice worked well with Roth, well, though, too. It, exactly. He, he worked brilliantly with Roth, but... Even better with Hagar. Yeah, they yeah. sounded amazing together, those two. Yeah. I'm trying to think what that song was where Hagar. <laughs> might even be Summer Nights at the end of that. <laughs> I don't, no, I can't. I don't I'm not going to get there, am I? Yeah. Okay, so. Um, but so I, they, I, I saw, I saw yeah. uh, Van Hagar in a stadium, two stadiums in Miami and. Uh, what's the other one in Miami and uh, Tampa. And uh, on the Monsters of American Monsters of Rock tour in '88, they were the headliners. And um, before the show, Eddie and Alex were in their bit chilling. Let's put it that way. Hagar was out and about, bouncing around, talking to people. I remember he came into the, mm. I was with Metallica. He came into their dressing room, 
And he grabbed Lars, because, you know, Lars is the guy to talk business yeah. with. And he took him in over here like this, like just you and me going to talk, with his arm around him. And he goes, hey, man, your shirt, your shirt, your shirt is selling like shit, man. And what it was was there was the event T-shirt for the Monsters of Rock. Yeah. So Van Halen, Scorpions, Dokken, uh, Kingdom Come, Metallica. Um, and, and then each band would have their own shirt, including Van Halen. But the event shirt is always the one that really sells. And apparently the Metallica shirt was selling almost as many wow. as the yeah. event shirt. Yeah. And Hagar was sus enough to go, these boys, these are going to be the next superstars. Well, and, he's, and he's making friends. Everywhere yeah. Hagar went, he made yeah. friends. Here's the other thing about Sammy Hagar. And I read an interview with him not so long ago that was... It was a lovely interview because he was basically saying, I'm a happy guy. Mm. I've had an amazing life. But here's what he was brilliant at as well. As a businessman and not as a kind of Trump style, you know, uh, uh, kind of magnet type guy. As a businessman, he was incredibly clever. So, you know, that's a great example with the T-shirts. But he had his own... Um, Takia. Takia Takia which he sold Takia, just which, he, which he just sold at this point for I mean it, it yeah. was, I think it was in the hundreds of millions yeah. of dollars it oh, was yeah. an extraordinary amount of money yeah. he was one of the first guys to go down to, to Cabo in, in Mexico which is now a huge yeah. or before the pandemic was a hugely uh, they, visited and influenced he, he just did a show there a few yeah. weeks ago to help out all the uh, local Lo- businesses yeah are, okay but he he was investing in that place when it was still just a little town, you know, where people, you know, where a few people knew about yeah, it. Yeah. Um, so a really clever, switched-on guy, not just in music but in life. So I think because of that, um, clearly extended Van Halen's career. Hagar says the record company actually suggested they change their name to Van Hagar, <laughs> and that and that Hagar resisted it. Which is smart yeah. because Sammy was a successful solo artist, but Van Halen at this point is is, is almost a franchise. It's, a, yeah. it's it's one of the biggest names in the world. They do four albums, each goes to number one. They do an incredible live album as well in the days of double albums, but as we know, it all ended badly. And and you know to get back to Eddie. Um, it seems pretty clear that, that you know, the, uh, from Hagar's book and from other things we now know, was the reason it, it went so badly in the end was down to Eddie. Uh, Hagar, in his book, describes unbelievable scenes where Eddie, um, he said, turns up some days, he looks like a homeless person. Yeah, He's got these loose pants on tied up with a rope. He's got teeth missing. He's always got an he's got a he's got an open bottle of the cheapest shittest wine, you know. So at this point, it's not like, it's not even like oh look, I've got a yeah, I've yeah. got a, a rather good vintage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's get up in the he said him and Alex get up in the morning, open a beer, light a cigarette. That was them. He said, but by this point, Alex, uh, sorry, Eddie. Apart from the drugs, he literally just has whatever he can get in his hand. They uh, were being managed by Irving Azov at the time, and with Irving they staged an intervention. And apparently Eddie said, the first person tries to take this from the <laughs> bottle out of my hand, I will fucking kill. Yeah. And he meant it. And, you, and, and, and so it, it ends horribly sadly. 
Um, and uh, so I don't want to dwell on that because the man is dead, and we don't want to. We don't want to. Um, you know, he's ain't he ain't here to reply. Go, go, right? go, but, goes back to what we were saying earlier. There's a certain time to reflect on things like that, and it's not right now. No, it isn't. Although, although I do think it's important to acknowledge that because we have a lot of fun on this podcast, yeah. and you and I have had a lot of fun over the years with these artists. And was there ever a more fun band than Van Halen? Yeah, no, no. And yeah, the heart of it, as you say, there's this guy who's essentially destroying himself. Yeah, and and you said earlier, you know, you talked about the grit in the oyster that makes the pearl. Um, Roth didn't seem to have that, but Eddie definitely did. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, the poor guy, uh, as far as we know, died of cancer of the mouth. We know he had a chunk of his tongue taken away at some point in the last 10 years according to sammy hagar uh it was bit by bit by bit they tried to save the tongue eddie of course was telling people that he got it because he always used to put the uh, he used to have a steel pick guitar plectrum and he always claimed that it was because he used to hold it in his mouth while he was tapping Mm. and that's what caused the cancer but the man is on 200 <laughs> cigarettes a day, you know, two ounces of Coke, a yeah, case yeah. of whatever but it booze. It wasn't that. What? Definitely it was wasn't definitely that. Definitely not that. Hagar in his book describes seeing Eddie uh, turn up. This is after he's having bits of his tongue taken away. And he's still chain smoking. He's still, yeah, he's yeah. still out there. Now, my old rock and roll heart loves the idea that there are still people out there whether it's Keith Richards or Eddie Van Halen or whoever, there are still people out there living that kind of dream. On the other hand, my grown-up head um, has seen, as we all have, has seen too much sadness mm. and, 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 and... Yeah, I mean, it's awful for his son, it's awful for it's his awful brother. It's awful for everybody. Yeah. It's yeah. All, and most of all him. You know, I yeah. think he's the one yeah. that suffered yeah. the most. yeah. And um, there was this kind of last hurrah, wasn't there, with Roth, where they did... Did you ever hear they that did, album? I did, oh, yeah. And Roth, so uh, I mean, Roth is... The live album especially, I mean, Roth is terrible. I mean, I hate to say it, but he's awful. And you can tell that Eddie Van Halen is not on the ball because why the hell you'd release that? I think with you Roth know. as well. Sharon Osbourne said to me once, she said... Um, she goes, the great thing about Ozzy... Um, and this is obviously before all the uh, procedures, she said, um, he's like Lemmy, you know, or someone like that. He, he He's not a pretty boy. Um, and it means he can get older, he can mature, you know, it, it sits well with him. Yeah. And she said, but some of these, you know, the, the pretty boy pop star, she, at the time she said, like, you know, the singer in Poison or Bon Jovi or whoever, they find it really hard yeah, it's you've got to find a way. You've and got it, to find a way. It's interesting that you mentioned those two because I saw both of them recently on TV. Uh, the Jove, of course, he now looks like a sort of semi-successful Midwestern politician. You know, he looks, he like, looks like, like a friend of George Clooney. Yeah, he looks like the he? kind of guy who's just been elected to the Senate mainly because he looked good on the leaflets. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's sort of middle-aged, but he's got great hair, but it's grey. You know, and, uh, Brett Michaels. He was making this appalling television show and it it was all about uh, someone trying to be his girlfriend and he had this array of, (laughs) one can only call them strippers. Right. Um, 
lining up for his affections, and he's there, and he's still got the bandana with the hair like attached. His, he's in his fifties now. He's in his fifties, and like, look, Brett was a great-looking guy. Him and Pamela Anderson made an amazing-looking couple. I mean, genetic, amazing-looking video. Yeah, genetically <laughs> amazing-looking sex tape. Yeah. Not that I've seen not, it. Nor would suggest it, not, anybody not goes that to YouTube. Not either of them leaked it for money. I mean, God there's no. no way that. God happened. no. The amount no of publicity they happened. got no, out of that must have just hurt. Astonishing. There's Probably no hurt. way that happened. But Brett still got the bandana with the hair attached to it, you know, and you mm. think that was a joke in like nineteen ninety five, you know, and wow. he, and he's still like that, and he's still auditioning so, strippers to be his girlfriend. So, so can I just to no, please, to please to do. finish the point please with do. Roth is I don't think Roth, Roth was a pretty boy, but he had such a, a sharply defined persona, yeah, and he was amazing looking. And it was all about youth and vitality and you will believe a man can fly. Yeah. Because he, he he couldn't get by on his singing voice, so he had this other stuff going on. And a lot of it was hilarious. I mean, we think of that California Girls video or just a gigolo video. Yeah. Very hard to do when you're in your 60s, you know, yeah. pushing well, 70. Sammy Hagar still maintains his vibe because yeah. he's always been a man. And, and he still is, and he looks like he'd be a great guy to have a beer yeah, with. Yeah, he does, yeah. A great guy to yeah. go down to Carbo with. Yeah, And yeah. some takia! Yeah, yeah. And a big yeah. huba, Havana! Yeah. <laughs> Where Roth, you get the feeling, oh, yeah. no, he's Roth, coming round, yeah. it's going to be, I've got to listen to <laughs> this gonna, shit he's all gonna, night. He's going to have his wig on, and he's going to be talking. He's going to come here and go, hey, yeah, I'm yeah. on da- Diamond Day! Yeah, yeah. and that was, you know, I mean, that was just, I remember him, as I'm sure you do, having an undue influence on lots of people who worked at Kerrang! at the time. Who, Roth? Roth, yeah, oh, yeah you know, yeah. because he'd come out and you would go and interview David Lee Roth. And as you say, I mean, I didn't interview him for 13 hours, but it purely was a case of turn the tape recorder on yeah, yeah. and stand back because yeah. that was, it was I'm it coming was... at you live between your <laughs> ears and eyes. And he had these amazing lines. And as Noel Monk said... Everyone thought it, it, he's just this ad libber off the cuff. Really. No, he worked he at really that did. stuff. He worked and he worked did. at it till it was patter, yeah. you know. And everyone else was trying to do it, and it just doesn't work because Roth has honed these lines to sound like they're ad libs, but they're not ad libs. They're these, are, you know, these R- Roth, Roth zingers. A, really was a, in the same way yeah. Bowie created Ziggy. Roth mm. created yeah. Diamond Dave. But, 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 but I'm Hagar, not sure he's been able to create anything since Diamond Dave. He's been to Vegas. He's got the sort of short-haired look and now the bald look. And, and he wig. wears the suits. Where's he wears the, the wig. wig. He dresses up like a painter. He's tried all these different things. But as you say, when you're the age that he is, you can't be Diamond Dave anymore. And that's quite difficult for him, I think. Whereas Hagar has always just been himself. Yeah, Hagar's great. I mean, he's got some, I saw him on stage in Vegas with, he's got some, you know, an older guy, but he was a great guitarist. I mean, he was yeah. you know, doing all the Van Halen stuff. Yeah. And and Hagar's just singing, you know, and he's yeah. singing the nuts off this stuff, you know. What a singer. Still so good. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the kind of, the, the, the difference, I suppose. Is it? And, he, you know, he's like so, John Lord with his money. He's got rolls <laughs> of the stuff. So, so how are we going to remember Eddie? Well, I think, I think we should round off remembering Eddie by remembering some of Eddie's children, not physical children, but the guitarists that came along behind him, who were tremendous value. I mean, you talk about Ingve. You, know, you what, talk about Ingve. I, mean, I think, I think you talk character. about Ingve. I mean, a ludicrous. I'll tell you, 
The story, two stories that I remember about Ingve that sum him up. One, I can't believe we're talking about Ingve. One, Go on. one was uh, when Dave Reynolds, Kerrang writer, ironically, Dave always had the nickname Wiggy because his hair looked like was a real but looked like a wig, yeah. which a nickname he bore with great fortitude. And Dave was <laughs> Dave. I never did forget. He? I never did <laughs> he? He did. He did. Never forget was interviewing um, uh, Ingve on the phone, and Ingve's giving it loads that I'm I'm at the Sunset Marquee, I'm on a lounger <laughs> by the pool, and, Dave, and I was sitting near Dave while he's doing it. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden you hear him going, Ingve, Ingve, and he goes, Dave just turns and he goes, I heard this massive splash, <laughs> and Ingve had fallen off his sun lounger like a beach where he rolled off his sun lounger and fallen in the pool. It can happen. And then recovered himself, but which went on to the second story, which is when he came to England, doing some tour, and his press officer, whose name I will keep out of it, said, uh, Jesus Christ, because it's terrible. He keeps going into the toilet and he's in there for hours and I keep thinking he's taking, you know, whatever. He's in the toilet to take drugs. But it's like, it's 10 o'clock in the morning, you know. And uh, the mystery was finally solved when one day Ingve couldn't find a toilet to go into. And he, he was wearing these leather trousers, these leather trousers. And they just become increasingly tight over the course of the tour because he loved fish and chips. <laughs> yeah, and she, she had to keep buying him fish and chips. And, tight, and what it was was the trousers had these lace-up oh, flies. Right, Do you remember right. those? Yeah, it used yeah, to have yeah. like two bootlaces. I'm wearing a pair up. right now. Yeah, oh, you are yeah. yeah. under the table. <laughs> you, you got underpants like that. And as he was getting fatter over the course of the show, he couldn't do the... He was in the toilet so long, so he couldn't do the laces back up on his trousers. Right, and yeah. you're going to tell me now how this relates to Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> well, Ingve, I mean, I suppose this was the whole thing. Ingve Eddie, Van Eddie, Eddie created a scene where, you know, as we said, what he did so brilliantly was, was integrate his guitar playing into his songwriting. But there were people who, who couldn't quite do that. Well, it seemed they could either you had, you know, write riffs or they could yeah, shred, or they could shred. could do both. So you had people like Mike Varney, you had uh, Jason Becker, you know, all these guys, are fan- uh, Marty Friedman. They're all terrific guitar players, all really Steve terrific. Vai, Steve Vai, George well. Lynch. Yeah, all of those guys were great. Did they have what Eddie had? Probably not. But then you did get this whole thing that we touched on earlier, the Guitar Institute of Technology, where the guitar became this even more fetishized thing. You know, there was this whole era in the same way that there was an excess in hair metal of chicks and dude and all the rest of it. There was an excess in the guitar playing of, uh, you know, um, how many guitarists does it take to change a light bulb? You know, three, one to change a light bulb and two to say, I can do it faster than that. It's that whole thing. Oh, there's the other one. How many guitarists does it take to change a light bulb? Uh, uh, Ten. (laughs) <laughs> one to do it and nine to tell him how Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. So uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say to help end, I'm gonna say I think Eddie Van Halen will always be remembered primarily for the Eddie we saw in videos like Jump, that enormous smile, yeah, that sort of apparently effortless. Mm. Ease that was the thing. That was, was the eff- lightning. Yeah, it was the effortlessness of it. And I think, although I agree with Hagar, you got a you got a an equally satisfying, more musical 
um, a partnership, collaboration. It really was a special, special thing. But I think what he had with David Lee Roth, in the same way with Sabbath and Ozzy, mm. um, uh, I think uh, is unrepeatable, is unique to them. And I think that is what we will remember, is that guy... Um, there was really it was almost cartoon like there was sort of pizzazz to it pizzazz because you had Roth doing his leg kicks and leaping off the off the um, thing drum riser the thing as it's known in the biz it's known as the thing can you just put the thing up we've got to get the drums out yeah that guy with the sticks yeah he on the sits thing. there he yeah. sits there he sits yeah. there he's yeah. an arsehole that we put yeah. up with now, Eddie I think will be uh, will be um, that kind of Peter Pan like figure yeah and um, and I think and he'll be, I think I think also the other thing says he will be rediscovered by subsequent generations yeah I think you know he, he will be a, a musician that's remembered right um, and, and he will influence probably people who are just being born now yeah I agree so let's end with all right thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you see you next time if you liked this episode be sure to leave us a review share it with a friend or plain old subscribe wherever you happen to listen to it for full episode show notes visit nofilter.media forward slash Get your rocks off. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want.